It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Feckin' Check-In, Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. Show. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Feckin' Check-In. My name is Trainer, and with me, as always, is my co-host Toomey. How are you doing this evening, Toomey, on this Friday evening on the 27th of November? Uh, I'm very good, yeah. Uh, it's the end of the week. We're recording at, I suppose, the official end of work, but the official start of the weekend, which is 5.15pm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I think that's down in the record books, as that does officially the start of the weekend, all right? Um, it's the most wonderful time of the week. Um, Any plans for the weekend? Uh, Me and Liz are going to look at cars for her tomorrow in a location, Mm. which I won't disclose, but a second-hand car dealer. Uh, We're going to look at two minis. She wants to buy a mini. All right, very good. Um, She likes the look of them mainly. Does Liz have a car at the moment? Uh, She does have a car, yeah, but it's pretty much broken down. It's, It's about 20 years old. Uh, oh yeah, she does actually. It's, yeah. it's a terrible, terrible car. It's the uh, Polo, Volkswagen oh, yeah, Polo. Yeah. I think an awful, awful car. I think you picked me up with it at one point. Uh, <laughs> I was taken aback. I was looking for a Toomey special sedan, but uh, you arrived in. <laughs> <laughs> you arrived in this. Yeah, and it has some sort of problem with the windows, so it gets. Um, you know when water comes in, and it kind of rots away the seats and stuff, and uh, uh, yeah. I don't, don't know the word for it, but. It's got a problem with that. Uh, it started breaking down all the time. It's we we call it the shit wagon because uh, <laughs> it gets bird shit on it all the time as well. And we're we'll, we're going to be paying someone to get to take it away from us <laughs> rather than sell it. Bird shit in the exact area where you drive. Yeah. <laughs> Second callback of of the for for the the smart listener will know what they mean. We won't clarify them though. For for the. The Mark listener. <laughs> very well, very good. Uh, all right, so this is a special episode, and we are going to talk about The Undertaker, the wrestler. Of course. <laughs> of course, why wouldn't we? Um, so, uh, for those who are longtime listeners, you'll, you'll know that I'm a wrestling fan, and Toomey, you were a kind of a casual wrestling fan, but you have been a, bit, a big fan in the past and gone to events and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and The Undertaker retired this week, as I'm sure... 63% of the listeners know and uh, it was that kind of overshadowed a bit because I thought it was a m- momentous week with The Undertaker retiring but then Diego Maradona the footballer died there a couple of days ago so that f- that kind of the tributes for him kind of outweighed the tributes to The Undertaker from what I could see anyway yeah probably more crossover appeal from Maradona to, than The Undertaker to the than mainstream. And for The Undertaker retiring, I suppose. <laughs> but there's a lot of parallels there. Like, Maradona is a footballer that I would definitely know. Uh, but I know fuck all footballers. Well, I don't know too many footballers. Um, but that's one that everybody knows. And I think The Undertaker is somebody that everybody knows as well. Whether you really like wrestling or ever even watch it or not, I think you kind of pretty much know who he is. I'd say if you name three wrestlers, uh, or got the general public to name three or four, they might say... Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, The Rock, and The Undertaker, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And we'll touch on that in our cultural point when we we talk about The Undertaker's cultural influences. Uh, But this is the feckin' check-in. This is the podcast about funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. Together, that means feck 
<laughs> I keep mi- mixing up the word make and means. Yeah, you're saying means is. Makes and means. Together it means feck, uh, not doing it again. And trainer, as is tradition at the start of every episode, for this very special, for the first time ever, a special on a wrestler, The Undertaker, will you lead us out with your funny observation about Mark Calloway, The Undertaker? Yes, uh, so just a small bit of background for maybe people who don't know. The Undertaker uh, was wrestling in WWF slash WWE for 30 years, and it was the exact 30-year anniversary on Sunday at the Survivor Series event of his career. That's the event he debuted at in 1990 at the Survivor Series. And in 2020, he is officially retired. Um, So that's just a small bit of background there. And uh, he's probably one of the biggest names in WWF slash WWE ever. um, And has has definitely had the longest career out of anybody. Um, But uh, his whole aura, his whole gimmick was that of like a... An undead mortician, basically. Um, so he went. He, he dresses like a, an old Wild West undertaker that you'd see in like um, westerns. Like he has a big long trench coat, a hat. Um, over the years, he incorporated different things into it, like MMA gloves. Uh, and uh, because he he changed his gimmick like about halfway through his career and started wrestling as the American badass, the Undertaker, and he was um, riding down to the ring in a motorbike and all that. But he stopped that after a few years, and he kind of went back to a hybrid version of the old character and the newer character. But he was always very protective of his gimmick, never really did too much mainstream media interviews, uh, protected the business. We talked about the word kayfabe before. He, he would have been a keen um, observer of kayfabe throughout his career. But my funny observation is now that The Undertaker is on Instagram, Cameo, and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the most bizarre thing to have ever happened in wrestling, I think. Um, because he was such a, like old-school person. But now you can see him with pictures of his wife and his kids and workout videos and doing specialised, personalised messages and tweeting um, about various different things. And I just think that's mental. That is that is crazy, and he, especially a character like the Undertaker, who was so one-dimensional and would say basically everything he said ended with "rest in peace." Yeah, and for him to be like fully viewable in twenty twenty, it it kind of loses the effect in a way, doesn't it? It does, but I think like he, he was only he only opened himself up to this type of thing in the last couple of years, and he's I'd say he was probably just like fuck it, you know, I'm I'm nearly done anyway. Um, but I remember years ago Mick Foley saying like about ten years ago or something when when Twitter was kicking off, uh, that the Undertaker should never ever get Twitter <laughs> Twitter because if that if that day comes then like kayfabe is well and truly dead. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it is now. I think that signifies it now. Um, when you can get a tweet from the Undertaker or a retweet. Yeah, I, and with Kayfeb d- dying, I saw him and uh, Shawn Michaels on Triple H this week were brought together on BT Sports to review uh, a WrestleMania match between The Undertaker and Triple H. And Shawn Michaels was the referee. And it was kind of like the, the end of an era type of thing. Uh, the match was kind of symbolized that. But it was just interesting to see like the three like really prominent wrestlers saying, yeah, he sold that well. Shawn Michaels sold that really well. <laughs> Breaking all kind of like kayfabe or whatever yeah. was left of it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I didn't see that actually. I must go and watch that. Um, it is funny though because when you look at the start of his career, I just watched his debut match there um, at the 1990 Survivor Series and he comes down to the ring walking extremely slowly, doesn't say anything, has that like cold stare in his eyes uh, very deliberate movements and to like then 
now, nowadays he's on uh, BT Sports and he's fucking... Uh, <laughs> he's a real ha- human ha- being. Having the bants with Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yeah, and that it kind of... I think if he, he was sort of came on the scene now, it wouldn't have been as effective. Like for him being such a one dimensional character, he was a really he kept it simple and it worked and there was mystique about him. He deliberately kept out of the media, kept out of the limelight. He'd even take breaks for a long time when he was wrestling, like he'd go missing or he'd be buried alive. <laughs> he seemed yeah, to be yeah, buried yeah. alive about seven times or lit on <laughs> lit on fire or whatever. It was it was normally for injuries. But yeah, I think he, he stayed away on purpose uh, quite a lot. But to me, when I was younger, that was always so exciting when The Undertaker was coming back or if, he, if there was a surprise return from The Undertaker. Um, more so maybe than anyone else, maybe Stone Cold as well um, would, would get that excitement level up. But The Undertaker coming back or returning from one of his many sabbaticals was always... Uh, like it really reinvigorated the show completely. Like it was just so exciting. You hadn't got a clue what he was going to do or whose side he was on or whatever. Yeah, and his entrance music was the most exciting and dramatic out of all of the entrance musics. And the the way he'd come come in with the the lights dimmed, and then that haunting music. Uh, and he'd always like he, it would be a surprise. He'd always use it as a surprise when he came back. Like he'd been missing for four months and he's back. It suddenly goes dark and it's the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. And like they use that trick all the time now, um, even in modern wrestling, the room goes dark and then somebody appears. But I'm pretty sure that was originated by The Undertaker. Um, but they, they use it even now in modern day AEW and stuff. Uh, it's overused, I think, nearly. But um, yeah, room goes black and then The Undertaker's there and he's like, how did he get there? It doesn't matter. Like, I think pe- people were willing to suspend this belief um, further than for any other character with The Undertaker. Yeah, I don't know if this is going into an hour critical analysis of The Undertaker, but he talked quite slowly. <laughs> and then and then I think when he went into the American badass character, he was he was just basically a, a, like a biker, a random biker character in America who couldn't talk on the microphone. And it was a disaster. I, I actually thought he was quite good when he got really? into that character. Yeah, like when oh, he came enough. back and... When he came back in 2000 as that character, um, actually, we're getting into kind of entertainment. Let's just say this is E for entertainment now, right? Um, all right. But uh, when he came... <laughs> First <laughs> okay. time ever in the fucking check. Just, all right, let's go for it. <laughs> when he came back in 2000, I thought it was it was funny because he was talking more quickly, like in a normal talking person's cadence or whatever. And um, I remember like he was, he was in the ring with Linda McMahon and Vince and he's like, um, you better go ask your old lady. Was like, Vince was like, you don't work here. And he's like, you better go ask your old lady because I just signed a brand new contract with lots of years and lots of zeros. <laughs> <laughs> this guy had been walking around for 10 years as a zombie, um, <laughs> undead mortician. Um, but but I, I thought actually after a while like he was doing the whole big evil thing and he was influenced by MMA and he was wrestling Brock Lesnar and oh yeah that wasn't that, as bad yeah that type of stuff I, th- I, I thought that was quite good actually and um after after more several more years then when he went back to the dead man character I was kind of clamoring for a return to the American badass or the big evil character because I thought the by the time you've actually retired I thought the whole thing was very stale um and like just you know, we've seen this now for, for 16 years. Actually, his final match, he kind of had a, the biker gimmick again, which I thought was quite good. I, I welcome that. Yeah, I think for 2020, you can't really go for the 1990s uh, Undertaker. You kind of have to have a personality. People aren't really buying it because all celebrities are kind of more much more accessible now. So 
you can't just get by with uh, rest in peace all the time. But I, one funny thing and entertainment uh, about The Undertaker, just Paul Bearer. <laughs> and I saw he made an appearance in The Undertaker's farewell speech. Yeah, a hologram of Paul Bearer uh, flashed up on the screen. From the, the script. Um, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he, but he was an excellent like uh, side piece because like, The Undertaker didn't obviously talk um, very often. So you've got that over-the-top character, classic wrestling fashion. Pair up the silent, scary-looking guy with the over-the-top, charismatic manager. Um, but yeah, there was lots of years when I didn't really watch wrestling at all, like from the early '90s to the the late '90s boom. So I kind of missed a whole lot of that. Um, when I kind of started watching back wrestling properly in in early '99, uh, it was a Ministry of Darkness, and Paul Bearer's character had been reduced to a kind of a, a bit player. He wasn't. Oh, he, he wasn't was on the way out. Character, yeah, yeah, he was on the way be, out. But. Uh, but there's a very famous, um, very very famous uh, um, angle where they um, kidnapped Stephanie McMahon, put her on the Undertaker symbol, which was essentially a crucifix, and uh, was going to marry Stephanie McMahon to the Undertaker. And Paul Bearer was like playing the role of the the minister. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, that, was, that, that was a, it was brilliant though. Like that's it was so creative and just wacky and. Um, I think that's what drew everybody back in. It was shit like that. Like everybody goes on about the the attitude here or whatever. But like you had deadly people like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock or whatever. But and then you had like The Undertaker marrying Vince McMahon's daughter in a black wedding on on Monday nights to give birth to the corporate ministry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and another kind of funny and entertaining thing about The Undertaker is his uh, memorable moments as being a driver of cars of various sorts. <laughs> Speaking to his passengers in the back seats, can you can you uh, you know what I'm talking about there? I do. Uh, <laughs> you probably I, tell it better than me. I think it was the end of Backlash '99. I think, and um, Stephanie McMahon gets into a limo, and uh, he's, she's like, she's like, driver, driver, wait for my dad, driver, and then the driver turns around, and it's the Undertaker. He's like, where to, Stephanie? <laughs> That's such a classic line. And us as friends would always say that to each other yeah. on nights out. And Where to, Stephanie? I noticed yeah, he, yeah. I was looking back at his clips, his best moments uh, in preparation for this episode. And I noticed he had another one with Teddy Long. Teddy Long gets into the back of a limo <laughs> and all the doors are shut. And Teddy Long can't come out, can't get out. And Undertaker turns around and goes, buckle up, Teddy. <laughs> and then all this weird smoke goes in the back and you see Teddy Long trying to get out uh, so so was the Undertaker just waiting around in cars randomly for for wrestlers and apparently yeah yeah and commissioners like, it's really. funny like when you think about it like how does he get to the arena like he must be on a plane at some point as well and going through security um you know getting a copping in a taxi to Madison Square Garden um renting a car that. renting a limo <laughs> Waiting there for hours. Yeah, uh, oh, it's funny. And, and, ti- and timing it so like it didn't interfere with his matches. <laughs> yeah. But start is despite the implausibility of it, it, it worked. Um, one thing I wanted to say in this entertainment segment, uh, Hell in a Cell, that was really an iconic match. The one against Mankind, but also the one against Shawn Michaels. 
Yeah, the Shawn Michaels one from a wrestling standpoint was a brilliant match. Um, and it really, like, I, I didn't see that until after the fact. I wasn't watching in 1997, but I have watched it many times. Um, and that was kind of very uh, cutting edge uh, at the time. They'd never really done anything with a roof, a cage with a roof on it. Um, and Michaels did his, his fall off the side of the cage, which at the time was a huge stunt. Um, and there was lots of blood. Back then they would blade and, and there'd be blood in the matches, which added drama, I thought. It was such a shocking... The moment when Shawn Michaels was uh, basically his he was kicked his hands were sorry the Undertaker stood in his hands or something wasn't it and the Shawn Michaels fell from kind of halfway up the cage onto the tables if I remember yeah correctly. yeah 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 exactly yeah something yeah and like then that. then obviously with the Mankind match they went absolutely bananas and uh, and the Undertaker threw him off the top of the cage which is probably the most ever played clip in WWF WWE history I would say. Yeah, wow, that was unbelievable. Like because the Shawn Michaels one from halfway up the cage was shocking, but this one, um, me and my brother used to record the pay per views and then watch them like the next day. We couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Like, like again, I wasn't watching at the time, and controversially, me and some of the lads borrowed a lot of those videotapes from you, and you never got them back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's all right. I think I held a grudge about that for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rightly so. I remember one time. Uh, the day we borrowed them, I got um, King of the Ring 98 and I got uh, Bad Blood 97 and I watched those two Hell in a Cell matches. I'd never seen them. I'd only seen little clips. And it's I, Robert, my brother, and Ed were in the room and like Ed kind of watched wrestling with me but then grew out of it quite quickly and Robert always thought it was stupid and shit and would be annoyed. Stupid. <laughs> He'd be annoyed if I was watching it in the room like almost. But he was absolutely dug into this when I was watching the Hell in a Cell match he's like that's actually a pretty good stunt uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's I think there's there's small moments like that um, with with the likes of those characters from the, the late 90s that had such broad appeal like even the most cynical and jaded and um, fed up person kind of got sucked into wrestling at some point nearly every man that I know I was watching at some point and it was definitely because of the likes of characters like The Undertaker yeah, it was all all kinds of different characters as well in the Attitude Era, uh, the late 1990s, I believe, or mid-1990s. And yeah, they were pushing the bar every week. It got crazier. There there wasn't any limits that they placed on it. It was getting like overly sexual, arguably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there, there was characters swearing. It was the, the death of the old school baby face, where the old school good guy, like the good guys now were being kind of half bad as well. Yeah, well, Stone Cold is giving the finger to his boss and giving him a stunner and uh, <laughs> drinking a beer. Uh, and then you have, yeah, the sexual stuff like Vince McMahon is making Trish Stratus get down on her hands and knees and bark like a dog. When you do Generation X, suck it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a great time. Um, so just another thing on entertainment I wanted to say, my, I think my favourite ever Undertaker moment was when he actually returned as the American Badass. And it was um, at the end of an Ironman match between Triple H and The Rock at uh, Judgment Day 2000. And The Undertaker had been on one of his sabbaticals. He'd, he'd been gone since about September 99. And this was May 2000. So in those days, like that was the longest period in the world to me. I was 
dying for The Undertaker to come back. Thought he might come back in the Royal Rumble as a surprise entrant, but there was no sign of him. Um, and then he didn't actually come back until the end of this pay-per-view. And um, he just beat the shit out of everybody in the ring, basically. But it was one of those moments, Jim Ross is like, by God, by God, it's The Undertaker. And then he rode down to the ring on his bike. Never, he'd never done that before. And he was clearly this different character. And just, I, it's just, even when I watch it now, I kind of get chills watching it. It still gives me that kind of feeling. But I've been back 20 years ago. He's a real flair for the drama and the dramatic return. And would that go down as your favourite Undertaker moment? Is there a match or another moment up there with that one? Or or is that stand out for you? For the pure thrill of it, I think it's my favourite moment. But I think he's had lots of brilliant matches over the years. But just for the thrilling kind of Attitude Era moments. And I think that era was more about the moments than the matches. I don't think The Undertaker really had good matches until much later um, in his career. Um, certainly not any anything remarkable. Anyway, uh, back then he was... He was plodding around the ring and um I, I didn't particularly enjoy his matches i just enjoyed the character um, yeah he's been buried alive every second week and walk, <laughs> walking along the top rope <laughs> and uh, to finish off the entertainment segment then what would you say was the undertaker's best match or your favorite undertaker uh, match? I'll, i mean i'll go for a very obvious one but it's versus Shawn michaels at wrestlemania 25 um the first of the two that they had but i'll add in a little disclaimer they kind of teased this at the end of the 2007 Royal Rumble. Uh, Michaels and Undertaker were the last two in the ring. And they hadn't laid hands on each other in about 10 years. Because Shawn Michaels was famously out of action from 98 to 2002. No one thought he'd ever wrestle again. And between 2002 and 2007, The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels never wrestled. So uh, as an actual match... The WrestleMania match was an actual match, but the end of the 2007 Royal Rumble, there's just two of them in the ring for about 10 minutes, and it's the most dramatic and best ending, I think, to a Royal Rumble match ever. Um, and I just thought it was brilliant. And then they didn't actually go back there for another two years uh, for the WrestleMania match, which is also brilliant. So Royal Rumble 2007 is the one that the listener should check out. Yeah, the end... The, the, the Royal Rumble match itself, watch the end. Actually, just watch the whole thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Give yourself 60 minutes and watch it. Um, it's just brilliant. Perfect. And I, I didn't even spoil it there. I didn't even say who wins. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's my pick. Do you have a pick? Um, I think what you were saying about moments, like The Undertaker, like, I don't really have a standout match, but, like, if you think about The Undertaker, he spans the history of the WWE. Like, he's had matches with uh, Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, um, and then like he's even had brilliant matches with Jericho uh, more recently, and and then the the Mankind Hell in the Cell. I think the Mankind Hell in the Cell for me just because it, it was so dramatic and shocking, and there were so many different parts of it as well that that I was gasping <laughs> in awe of of what was going on. Um, yeah, no, that's a that's a great pick. I, the, the only reason I didn't really pick that is because I wasn't watching at the time so um i got the i only got to experience that like retrospectively i'll, I'll make one special mention you said rick flair there i thought they had an, uh, an amazing match in 2002 when rick flair was should have been past it um, <laughs> you but, would think yeah but like he came back and he had a match with vince mcmahon at the 2002 royal rumble this is rick flair and that was just like brilliant they were both just hamming it up and typical vince match but i thought that was really entertaining and then flair wrestled the undertaker uh, at wrestlemania and I, th- I thought that was excellent like i remember kind of people some people were slating it at the time i was like i was i was absolutely captivated by that whole thing so much drama in that one as well and blood um and I, I thought that was really good as well and it's shocking that rick flair re- went on to wrestle for at least 15 more years <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say 15, no. I'd say about 8 <laughs> but, uh, or 9. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I don't know, like flare outside is welcome. Like nobody, nobody's like, business. <laughs> like the Jesus. Even now, when I see him on screen, I'm like, just come on, Rick, get it, get out of it. Go away, Rick. Okay, very good stuff. So we'll take a little halftime break there, and we'll come back and we'll talk about culture. Right, so we're back on the feckin' check-in. We've done the F. The F kind of melded into the E. Um, that was me. I went into business for myself, to use a wrestling term. Um, and now we're now we're on C for culture. And I kind of touched on this earlier. My point really is, and it's it's not a very lengthy point or anything, but I think that the Undertaker is is a cultural icon. Um, like I'm sure my mom would know who the Undertaker is, and she probably only knows like four wrestlers. Um, and like that's a 75 year old woman. Uh, who doesn't like who doesn't like wrestling um and like my sisters my brothers like all of them like who wouldn't have watched wrestling or anything or certainly not in a very long time um and casual casual people i think just know who the undertaker is um and that is huge crossover appeal that wrestling does not have anymore and hasn't had in i'd say two decades um there are no crossover people at all um and i think that's a huge a huge thing that's missing and i think the undertaker is one of the very top people who crossed over into the public consciousness um making him in my opinion a cultural icon absolutely yeah Uh, everybody knows who's the undertaker who the undertaker is my dad knows who the undertaker is and gets it i think the thing about the undertaker is everybody gets the gimmick he's he's an undertaker he's (laughs) the shades of the grim reaper he's the undertaker he's the dead man everyone just gets it straight away and it's just such a strong and simple gimmick and i was thinking about culture actually uh, a cultural point that i had was about gimmicks and you're more of an um wrestling fan than I am nowadays anyway um how do you think like gimmick culture has changed in that the Undertaker kept the same gimmick for for about 15 years before he started changing it um is that the same now or are people changing their gimmicks do you think from um I like in modern wrestling I don't think too many people have gimmicks um anymore and i think that in itself is kind of a gimmick <laughs> it's like uh, i'm just a, it's like they're calling it the reality yeah. era now uh, yeah. the reality era where like feuds are started on twitter and like uh or they're started in a media interview or or they bring in tweets from 2012 that john cena said about the rock or whatever um so i think like there's a, there's a huge lack of gimmicks uh nowadays they're like you're not seeing people like kane walking around the place you don't see the likes of the undertaker people don't have people don't have jobs anymore like uh there was a period in the 90s where all wrestlers had jobs (laughs) (laughs) there was like isaac yankin the dentist (laughs) and then there was the goon the hockey player and there was um fucking juke the dumpster drosies uh, was the (laughs) The fucking repo sergeant slaughter (laughs) yeah the big boss Uh, man the policeman yeah, so I think Kevin Nash famously said that uh, back in the 90s, all wrestlers had a side job as well as being a wrestler. <laughs> and uh, I don't, they don't really have that anymore. And as a result, I find it's very bland. And I, I actually haven't watched too much wrestling in, in the last 12 months. Um, and it's, yeah. a lot of it, I think, is because the characters aren't particularly interesting anymore. And it took me a long time to finally just realize that and just kind of say, I don't need to watch this Um 
unless something hooks me in again like the last time i was really hooked in was was cm punk and that's because he was doing um a shoot promo um, everybody is familiar with this or a lot of people are um back in 2011 and i hadn't watched wrestling for a long time then and that really hooked me back in and i watched quite closely for several years but um yeah, I think there's there's fucking no gimmicks anymore, really. I don't know if they would work in the modern era either, but as a kind of um as a side point for to that is that uh, there's there's very few interesting characters. Yeah, I think the way you call it the reality era, I think that's a good way to to sum it up and it would be interesting to see as I said earlier what the undertaker would be like if he started now. But like I'm just going to take an example from OTT over the top wrestling uh, the Irish wrestling, like Cormac Devlin has been the champion on and off for, for like the last five or six years. And yeah, he, he just kind of, Jordan Devlin. Devlin's, sorry, what's <laughs> I call I always mix him up with Cormac Devlin, Cormac the Devlin. politician. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a gimmick. <laughs> but I, I don't mean to single him out, but I think he's playing himself. And because he's playing himself, he's being really, really kind of realistic and there's like there seems to be limits on what he can do with the character of himself. <laughs> yeah, and sorry, I should I should clarify there that I was talking about WWE when I was saying there's no gimmicks anymore. Uh, other companies do have them. Uh, OTT is a, is a good example of, of gimmicks. Like there's a lot of gimmicks in that place. Uh, Session Moth Martina being one, and and various others they've had over the years. The lads from the flats. Um, Joe Joe Cabre was uh, a traveler um, <laughs> and uh, various other things, and I think I think that's why that was became so popular in Ireland because people were dying for the kind of old days, and, and I it think was that's a throw, why throwback OGT. to the to the old ways. It, it was. I think it's a throwback to the attitude era, really. Um, a lot of what OTT does, and it is over the top, and it's in the name. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, I'm kind of. I, lost my point whatever I've that's said. okay no I was, I was kind of saying like may, maybe the ott example wasn't the best because they have gone at, for a thro- throwback model i don't know if that's deliberate or that's just a normal culture within ott but there's lots of wrestlers who are just playing themselves and i guess my my general point was if you're playing yourself there's a limit on what you can do with the character because you're you're deliberately saying this is me and i'm being realistic Exactly, and and most wrestlers aren't really that interesting. They're just meatheads, um, and like they're most like, people aren't that interesting. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So like gimmicks back in the day gave people uh, something to do, and nowadays nowadays you've twenty people who have a beard, are well built, uh, can do a flip over the top rope and also a suplex, and they are kind of interchangeable looking. And you're kind of like, I I'm not expecting people to walk around as you know undertakers any longer, but. You need something, I think. I don't know. There, there. If you look at the likes of NXT uh, UK, there are so many interchangeable people on that to me that uh, I, f- I forget who half of them are. Like, I don't really watch it now anymore. I used to, but like, it's just like a load of kind of pretty athletic, well-built, similar-sized people with beards. Some have long hair, some don't. Um, and it's very difficult to tell them apart. Like, they don't stand out. Yeah, it's it's hard to know who you should be rooting for. And I wonder when CM Punk did that in 2011, he broke the kayfabe and he did a brilliant shoot, I think it was on Raw. Uh, like it was kind of exciting and new then. And, and it was exciting because every like the gimmick culture was still, it was coming towards the end, but it was still in full flow. And uh, I wonder, was it, it stood out and it was more interesting back then, but now it's, everybody's kind of doing it. Everyone's being real. 
Oh yeah, every promo is a shoot promo. Like uh, every every interview now, like the likes of um, John Moxley and um, in AEW, the former Dean, Dean Ambrose, and like there's always little insider references to everything all the time, and that's fine for people who are diehard wrestling fans. But it's the mainstream audience who you want to attract to your show, and making little in jokes all the time, constantly, keeps people out. It doesn't bring them in. Yeah, and to i suppose to hammer home the point if the undertaker was around today if he had his debut next week he would be called mark calloway <laughs> yeah, he would yeah and he would lose his career he'd be called mark calloway and he would be doing um a suicide dive over the top rope in every match not just at wrestlemania and he'd get on the mic and say i'm mark calloway no, I'm mixing him up with the Triple H there. <laughs> <laughs> Went into stock Triple H impression there. Uh, <laughs> Triple H is an interesting one because he did have a gimmick. Triple H, Hunter, Hearst, Helmsley, a blue blood, really posh person, posh kind of gimmick and attire. And then he dropped that whole gimmick, but he kept the name. Yeah, well, that was kind of um, a holdover from WCW. He was called Jean-Paul Levesque. Um, and he was basically the same character. Um, just French, I think, French-Canadian. Um, and then they kind of did a version of that in WWF. But yeah, it, 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 I think when DX came along then, they were just like, yeah, fuck it, he's not that anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to do crotch chops and hang around with Shawn Michaels. Um, but, they're sure to do, but they do that all the time in, in wrestling. Like it's um, They just kind of conveniently forget whole sections of a, a wrestler's career or background and just hope that you forget as well. Yeah. Uh, any other points on culture for The Undertaker? Uh, no, not really. That's uh, it for me. Okay, nice one. We'll uh, have a little break there for a moment and we'll come back with the kernel of truth. Okay, so we're back on the feckin' check-in. We've done the F, the E, the C, and now it's time for the K. And I don't have a quote or anything like that this week, but um, I just wanted to mention that loyalty is rare in professional wrestling. Uh, A lot of wrestlers, especially the bigger names, flitted between the two major companies at the time um, in the 90s. That was WCW and WWF. Or then when TNA became a bit bigger, some wrestlers jumped ship there. And now with AEW... um, Uh, on the rise a lot of wrestlers are jumping over to AEW as well the undertaker has never left the wwf or wwe uh, and it was very interesting to see vince mcmahon saying wwf on um his retirement did you see him saying that i missed that actually yeah he actually said the letters wwf i got a kick out of that because they never say that anymore Uh, and it wasn't a mistake like he was he was just referencing the past correctly i think they should use it when it's correct to use anyway um but uh Sorry, so he never left. Um, so he's, I think he's the most loyal uh, wrestler in the history of wrestling, possibly, uh, and maybe maybe Sting in WCW as well. Um, and I think loyalty is rare, and I just think that's very unique. And you can see that play out in the documentary series, which I know you watched some of. Did you watch? You watched some of. I watched it, some you? of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
he's so loyal to Vince McMahon, like, and he even says he never fully actually ever said, I'm definitely 100% retired, definitely. He still leaves a little crack of a door open saying, if Vince McMahon needs me, I'll be there. And, and, and I think it's insane, like, he's 55 years old, he's falling apart physically, he knows he can't do it as well as well anymore. There's a part where he's watching one of his recent matches in that documentary series and he winces at how bad he's wrestling. Yet he would still do it for Vince McMahon because he's just ridiculously loyal to Vince McMahon and I just think that's that's very rare and uh, I it's, I think it's a nice um trait, character trait in a person. Yeah, and he's he's been there for so long. It's been around how long would you say it is? Actually, you you, you might have a better idea. How long the has Undertaker. the Undertaker been with WWE? 30 years 30 years sorry you said that earlier um yeah it's uh it's it's loyalty over three decades and would you say that he is loyal to a fault in that can you be too loyal to Vince McMahon and will we actually be seeing The Undertaker back (laughs) next year well if history has taught us anything then yes we will definitely see The Undertaker back (laughs) next year (laughs) Uh, and I would I am actually gonna predict that he will wrestle again because he would be and an, a complete anomaly if he didn't. I don't know of anyone who has retired and never wrestled again. There might be one Japanese wrestler, who, a high-profile Japanese wrestler who did it, whose name escapes me. But um, Michaels is the best example. Shawn Michaels was retired from 2000 and, uh, was it 10? 2010 till 2018. And then he came back for a match in Saudi Arabia, him and Triple H versus The Undertaker and Kane. It was atrocious. <laughs> it was awful <laughs> and like of of anyone I thought he would be the one to stick to it he seemed so happy in his life he seemed that he didn't need it didn't want it he was down training people in NXT living the dream and then the Saudi Arabia money which is ridiculous money like that they get for those shows uh, I mean how, like I, I, anyone would would probably find that hard to turn down but sure they've been throwing money offers at him every year to come back for Wrestlemania and he kept saying no to wrestle AJ Styles to wrestle Daniel Bryan he kept saying no and uh, eventually he gave in for some rubbish show that was in October in 2018 in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, the Undertaker, it was a cheat day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think The Undertaker is loyal to a fault. And I think on that basis, I think he will wrestle again because every single other person in history has. Yeah, well, that will probably happen then. Um, and let's hope that he doesn't... Uh, diminish his legacy too much i and that and that brings me to my uh, colonel that i was thinking of uh, about retiring at the right time is this the right time for the undertaker to retire is it too late is it too early what what are your views on that very interesting and this is a thing that comes up again and again and it's only really in wrestling and music i notice it um People talk about bands retiring when they're on top and bands outstaying, outstaying their welcome. Like You look at all the big rock acts that are out there now. They're in their 60s and 70s. Uh, people who can fill stadiums. like, And that's just the way the music business has gone. And wrestling is quite similar. There are a lot of parallels there because people do it into their, not their 70s, but they do it into their 60s. Ric Flair was in his 60s and he was still wrestling. Hogan would be in the ring tomorrow if Vince rang him. Um, and, 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 and lots of other people as well. Um, and I don't, I mean, if you're talking about prime uh, Undertaker, I would say um, he should have retired after that Brock Lesnar match because it was pretty shit. And I think he was actually concussed during the match. But I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna give the streak away to somebody 
and then continue on wrestling at WrestleMania. I was like, that's, what's the point in this? I don't want to watch him wrestle Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania when he's lost the streak. Uh, you know, the impact is gone. And, and I think the previous six WrestleManias or seven, he had had excellent matches uh, and he really rejuvenated his career. So he wrestled Batista, Edge, uh, Shawn Michaels twice, Triple H twice, and CM Punk. There's seven matches in a row at WrestleMania that are some of the best matches ever on from any wrestler. In they seem opinion. to steal the show. Uh, that was the talk after every WrestleMania that Undertaker's matches had stole the show because they weren't expected, a lot of them, to be the best match. Exactly, yeah. And he was just on such a roll for that period of his career. So I think if they were going to end the streak, and apparently that was a day of decision from Vince McMahon, uh, Undertaker has come out now and said that when he went into WrestleMania that day, he was winning, and then Vince changed his mind a few times during the day. And to me, that's just so... I just can't, like... It seems like such an important decision. I don't know how you could be indecisive on the day of the event about something as important as that. <laughs> but uh, that's oh my- yeah, it was it was a bad decision really for for me. The as a fan, the interest in watching the the Undertaker at WrestleMania was gone after that because it was kind of like could he survive the streak with yeah. the streak against the odds? That was a nice gimmick that he kind of yeah, it was a great. It was a great gimmick, and it kept me going back to WrestleMania every year, and it was exciting. And then, I mean, if they weren't going to do it then, they Jesus, they should have done it in um, 2017 when he left his hat and his gloves in the ring. Oh, yes, oh, that iconic moment. The the image of that, I have a screensaver of that. Like, I, I changed my background images on my computer, to be honest, but one of them is is the just the image of the lights kind of in blue and purple and the Undertaker's hat and his coat left in the middle. Of the, what an iconic goodbye that was yeah, so underst- and understated and- exactly and he hugged his wife in the crowd Michelle McCool and like he didn't do things like that um, the character of the Undertaker didn't do things like that so it was so perfectly written and perfectly put together and then just wrestling people are just so greedy <laughs> and I'm not I'm not saying the uh, the Undertaker's greedy I'm saying Vince McMahon is greedy uh, and they're just like ah oh, fuck it forget that completely poetic excellent piece of television that is incomparable to any other form of entertainment let's bring him back for a match <laughs> <laughs> yeah but wasn't wasn't that the, the Undertaker's desire didn't he feel that match wasn't it supposed to be his last match and then he felt the match didn't go well and that he'd want to come back again yeah that that's exactly what happened yeah um and i mean there's there's that as well okay yeah sorry it, it was, so maybe it was, it was a combination his own personal um uh <clears throat> i forgot i've forgotten that actually sorry so that, that kind of changes what i said a bit it was his own personal dissatisfaction with the match but even with that he must have seen that image in the ring and known that mm. there's no better way to capture that and the, the thing they did the other night at survivor series wasn't a patch on the actual hat and gloves set up <laughs> and, and there's a part of you that thinks is this the end it's not his real retirement He's no it's, be- it's, it's not <laughs> and I remember Mick Foley saying in in 2000 remember Mick Foley lost a retirement match to Triple H it was a hell in a cell in 2000 and uh, he, he did interviews in the lead up to that match with Triple H, he's like, and he actually said, I'm not going to be one of those guys who prostitutes his career and returns in six months. <laughs> and he returned in five fucking weeks for WrestleMania. Because <laughs> oh, Vince McMahon asked him to. Uh, <laughs> Loyal to a fault there again. Uh, but like, I think with the difference between sports and sports entertainment, like with sports, you, you try to make it so you, you retire at the right time. But if, if you've lost your ability to deliver the goods in your your match or your sport or whatever then somebody else makes the decision for you so the manager won't pick you or you'll be politely <laughs> gotten rid of uh, yeah. but that doesn't happen in sports entertainment because it, when you think of it from a profit motive it, you, one could argue it's always the right 
right thing to do to get the, those guys to come back. It's Yeah, but it's very short-sighted. So people have been saying this for years. Vince McMahon has been relying on uh, part-timers for years now. It's It's been Goldberg recently. It was The Undertaker. Been Brock Lesnar. Um, a bit of Kurt Angle. You know, um, and he he he, reti- he relies on these like part-timers to uh, pop a rating or to increase a buy rate or to feature on his large events. But it's very short-sighted in that that excludes people who are on the up in their careers from actually progressing to the next level. Um, the likes of Kevin Owens, like they had Goldberg beat him for the Universal Championship in 2017, so just so he could defend it against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. And Kevin Owens was on a roll. He was having a great feud with Chris Jericho. He was really like in the best position he's ever been in. And they're like, oh, we need to give the belt to Goldberg. And like, it, it, you, I know what you mean by saying it's always the correct decision, but it's always short-sighted as well because they haven't built any new stars in years. And that's what I was saying earlier. Is there's no crossover people. There's no person you can point to now and say, that's the face of WWE. I think maybe... Becky Lynch was the closest they've got recently. Um, but, like, no one fucking down in the chipper knows who Becky Lynch is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Owens seemed to lose all momentum after losing a, f- a few of those matches against the more established stars like The Undertaker. I was just thinking as well, as, as my, maybe my final point, maybe the only wrestler I can think of who retired at the right time and got out of there, and he hasn't fully retired, but it's it's The Rock like he moved on to to other things and he hasn't really diminished his legacy in in my opinion. He's comes back for the odd cringy appearance but they're so few and far between that he seems to have like like gotten out of there and moved on to to different things at the correct time. Yeah, that's a good example actually. Um I and I'd say he probably will have a match again against Roman Reigns. That appears to be the direction they're going in. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to do any damage to himself. Well, he can't, sure. He's untouchable. He's the rock. <laughs> you know, every, everything he touches turns to gold. Uh and he recently bought the XFL. Did you hear about that? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Vince relaunched the XFL um, recently, put a load of his own personal money into it, like $300 million or something, and it failed again because of the coronavirus. So The Rock bought it for like $15 million. <laughs> and, oh, wow. uh, Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure he'll make that a success as well. Uh, so yeah, no, the Rock, the Rock can't do any damage to his career, I don't think, uh, or his legacy um, at all, really. Uh, like, he'd have to have an atrocious match, but no one would care, really. It's not the same type of thing as The Undertaker. Like, The Undertaker's done nothing else in his life, whereas The Rock has done any he's ever wanted to well that's it and let's say farewell to the undertaker he's had a great career and i've really enjoyed that analysis and to undertaker's career may it rest in peace